Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, Revoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Recorded live. Anybody that can have this all memorized by now, I'll take catfishing. Let's see your hand. You got it memorized? Oh, well, you got to memorize it. <clears throat> I guess right now is about the best time to go catfishing. Water's down lower. All right, more than that, verse 8, just quickly here. Just to reset the stage, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value, the surpassing value, the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I, I is Paul, have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish. The things that I lost were garbage anyway compared to what I've gained in knowing Christ. So that I I count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. The surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, we were in John chapter 16 last time we chatted with you, and I want to thank Kaipo and uh, Neil, who isn't here today, uh, for filling in for me while I was not gone. Uh, <laughs> you are quick. But one of the things that happened to the disciples in John chapter 16, we're going to uh, come back and look at that again with just a little more uh, substance to it. But before we go there, uh, that's when we read Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8, that's really what we all ought to want to know. Christ Jesus, our Lord. And when we know the right thing about Jesus Christ, my Lord, The result of that is life that is ongoing. And we're going to talk about that as we come to it and explain what I mean by ongoing life. But there's a little phrase that we, three weeks ago, we looked at. When the disciple says, now we know. And I want to go back to Genesis 22 and verse 12 because it's kind of a unique Actually, uh, Tanya and I were talking about this the other day, um, probably 10 days ago, and she reminded me of that phrase as it was used back in Genesis, and I want to refer that to you. Uh, Let's go back to Genesis chapter 22 
and verse 1. And we uh, will go through verse 12. So rapidly speaking here, we are going to move right on. Because what I want is in what, is it, what we're after is what is in verse 12. But it won't mean anything if we don't have a little background to it. So in verse 20, uh, chapter 22 and verse 1, Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham. Now, a testing is different than a temptation. A temptation is doing something that is questionable. A testing is what you do to make sure that something has what it needs to do what it's supposed to do. Two different things. God tempts no man to do evil, but he tests. We are all subject to testing. That's how we are made strong. So God is going to test Abraham. He wants to know what Abraham is made out of. You didn't hear that. Because you're still sitting up. God wanted to know what it was that Abraham was made out of. So he's putting him to the test. And he said to him, Abraham, Abraham said, here I am. And he said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. You go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains on which I will tell you. God is very specific. God does not deal in generalities. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey. It was probably the father of Betty's mule. And took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering, thus being prepared. If you're going to go somewhere and do an offering, what are you going to need to have, uh, to, to have an offering with? You've got to have a fire. So they were prepared. He had some split wood. It was already split. That's good thinking. Most people never are prepared for anything. You ever notice that? Some people are never ready for anything that happens. Well, he split wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. That's obedience. Faith is believing what God has said about things you cannot see. And Abraham could not see where it was that God wanted him to go, but, God, uh, but Abraham, God told Abraham where he wanted him to go. Abraham went there, and when he got there, he recognized this is where God wanted me to go. That's easy. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, there were some characteristics apparently that God had given to him, uh, some evidence how he would know that that was the right place. You notice he didn't just say, Abraham, go anywhere. That's like saying, go to the church of your choice. The devil's got a lot of them. Why would you want to waste your time there? So on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes, saw the place from a far distance. Abraham said to his young man, stay here with the donkey. Isn't it interesting how he was concerned even about the donkey? I like that. And I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Now, worship is equal here to sacrifice. 
We don't think of worship in the biblical sense today. We think of it in terms of how I feel good about what I'm doing when I go to the assembly. And by the way, there's no reference in the New Testament where worship is ever related to an assembly. Did you know that? Somebody, we have, we have leaders of the worship service. That's not biblical. There's no such thing in the Bible as that. Except that when you are studying the word, that's considered worship. Coming to the assembly... You are telling God what you think about Him. Remember that. That's free. So in verse 7, Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But there's something missing. If you've been following along, what is it that's missing? The lamb. We've come up here to sacrifice. We don't have a lamb. Now, Dad, we, we've, got, we've got the fire. We've got the wood. We split that before we came. But where's the lamb? God, uh, Abraham said in verse 8, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Now, you need to really get tuned in now. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built the altar there, arranged the wood. There's an order. Do things right. A lot of church never gets you know, a lot of church folks never catch on to that too. There's a right way to do things. So they came to the place, Abraham built the altar there, and arranged the wood. And bound his son Isaac. Oh. That's a twist. And laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Now you're not deeply involved with what I'm saying. Or you'd all be weeping. Because you'd be thinking of it in terms of what is happening. It's your son whom you love. And you have just bound him. And you have just put him over the top of the wood that's going to be lit and it's all going to be burned. That should have a profound effect on you emotionally. So Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. Is that vivid? But the messenger of the Lord, don't know who it was, doesn't tell us, the messenger of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And Abraham said, here I am. He said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad and, and do nothing to him for... Oh, now this is the phrase that I don't know what we're going to deal with it. Maybe we ought to just miss it. But I want... We can't do that. We've got to focus in on it and get it clear. You can put any kind of a twist you want on it, but fact, the fact of the matter is it's going to remain there just the way it is. Do nothing to the lad, for now 
I know that you fear God. Since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. For now I know. You see, God is sovereign, could know everything, but he exercises restraint in the use of his sovereignty, and God does not know what you're going to do tomorrow. He has placed a limitation on his sovereignty. What you do tomorrow, whether you get up or not, is your choice. Now, God could know that, but God doesn't know what you're going to do. He does not know what your decisions are going to be. He could. We're not questioning God's ability, but God has placed restraints on the use of his sovereignty. Otherwise, you would cease to be a free moral agent. Now God knew something about Abraham that he didn't know. He could have, but God, you see, places restraints on his sovereignty. He did not know what Abraham would do when he was testing. Otherwise, the very fact of verse 1 of this chapter, the testing would be fraudulent if God already knew the outcome. He did not know the outcome. When Abraham followed through as commissioned by the Father, followed through to the raising of the knife to slay his own son, and was stopped by the angel or the messenger, now, he says, now, now, now I know. Didn't know that before. He did not know what Abraham would do because it's your choice, man's choice, humanity's choice in what they do. God does not make your choices for you. Now, so this was God. Now I know. That's God. Now I know. God, he passed the test. Now let's go back to John chapter 16. So in our first example of the usage of that term today, now I know that was said by God, and it was said about God concerning Abraham, that when Abraham followed through with and in obedience to God, now God said, I know that you're the man that I thought you were. Did it make him that way? Did not know what he was going to do? It was a pure test. And he succeeded in doing the right thing the right way in the right place. All of those things were equal. Now, in John chapter 16, notice verse 28. Jesus said, now we we studied this three weeks ago, but let me look at it from a little bit different perspective today. I came forth from the Father. Now, I don't know what it takes for you for the light to come on. (laughs) But... You know, somebody said about my house that the light's on, but there's nobody home. I think they were talking about me mentally. Uh, I came forth from the Father. You know, we, we, we just haven't got a grasp of what that means. I came forth from the Father. I came forth from the Father. Verse 20, I came forth out of the Father. That's his origin. See, that's the first part of our chart. Remember the chart? The past, the present, and the future. 
That's the key of understanding that Jesus, who is the surpassing knowledge that we need to know about, and we need to know the truth about him, falsehood won't help us. I came forth from the Father. I have come into the world. Coming out of God, coming to man's world, confirms man's origin. Man is made in the likeness of God. And when God sent his Son, the Son came from the Father to man's world. I came forth from the Father. I have come into the world. I am leaving the world again and going to the Father. In our chart, that's the key overall passage of the whole chart. Folks, we have to get a handle on the three time frame. Now, verse 29, his disciples said, when Jesus had just finished that statement, I've come out of the Father, I have come into the world, and I'm leaving the world again, with that understanding, with that conclusion of all that he has said previously, his disciples said, Lo, now you are speaking clearly. Now you are speaking plainly and are not using a figure of speech. Now, verse 30, now, now, as God said to Abraham, now we know that you're the man that I thought you were. Now we know. Now the disciples have said the same thing. Now we know that you know all things. See, that's why it is so important that in the chart where it talks about the past, the present, and the future, that we have a grasp of that and we view Christ always from that perspective because that was the key on the disciples understanding who it was Jesus was. Now we know that you know all things. And Tanya told me, now I know. Now I now now Tanya knows all things that are in this context. Now we know, now I know, now Tanya knows that you know all things. <clears throat> and you and have no need for anyone to question you by this, by this, by this statement of where you came from, who you were when you were here, and where you're going again. By that, we know that you came from God. That's the statement. That's what the chart is built around, folks, is so that we can have an understanding of who Jesus was, where he came from, and out of God. And he came here to participate with you and me as we are. In the days of his flesh was as one of us. My What a difference it makes when you understand where it is that Jesus originated from. How important is his origin? Because the Son of God, that phrase in the Bible, the Son of God, has to do with his origin. When it refers to the Son of Man, it is referring to having to do with his mission. 
Don't confuse the two. He wasn't the Son of Man and the Son of God with equal significance. One has to do with his origin, and the other has to do with his mission. As the Son of Man, his mission was to bring salvation to the human race. The Son of God has to do with his origin. And when we begin to think that this Jesus, who we have all the historical records of, the Cychronius records, the historical records, that he came out of God, he came from God's presence, should that make a difference? Should that make a difference in how we view him? Should it make a difference in how we view what he has said about the scriptures about him? It should make all the difference in the world. If Jesus really came out of the Father, then it makes all the difference in the world. And how important are his accomplishments as a man? His accomplishments as a man are important because everything that he did, he did as a man, and that's in the first column under the chart. And then we might ask, uh, how important is Jesus now? Right now, he is the head of the church. He's the mind. He's the thinker of the church. He's the head of the church. He's the head. I will build my church. Don't put somebody else's name on it. When we begin to grasp the idea that God, Jesus, came out of the Father, it should make a, really a whole impact on our own thinking. Well, he had a beginning. He came out of the Father. He came to us as one of us during the days of his flesh, fulfilled his mission, and when he had to do and had to confirm who he was, what his origin was, it says that God gave him the tools with which to do that, and that were the miracles and the healings. You and I don't have that today. We don't ask God for that. That's not what it's all about. Prayer isn't for that purpose at all. Jesus did not become the high priest for that purpose. It, he came to be our high priest so that we could approach God and be forgiven of our sins. And healing of the soul. All right, let's go to John again. John chapter 17. <clears throat> We've looked at chapter 16 and verse 28 through 30. Now we know. Now let's see how he expands on that and reinforces where we've been so far. And I doubt if we get done. How many of you are warm enough? I see a few of you your still got your coats on. So we'll keep going till the coats all come off. Chapter 17, verse 1, Jesus now spoke these things, and lifting up his eyes to heaven, say, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. What's the word glorify mean? To give recognition to. I didn't hear what somebody said. Did somebody say something different? Oh, that's what Alex... Alex is right again. I'm glad he keeps speaking in my left ear. The hour has come. Glorify your son. Recognize, give recognition to your son. 
that the Son may bring recognition to you. To glorify means to bring recognition to. Even as you gave him authority over all flesh, Jew and Gentile alike, you gave him authority over that because he had to have that authority in able to deal with the sin issue for both Jew and Gentile alike, those who were under the law and those who were not under the law, even though he came under the law. That to all whom you have given him, he may give. The potential is there for eternal life. And that's what I want to talk about in our closing two or three minutes this morning. It's found in the first part of verse 3. This is the life eternal. <clears throat> now you're all sitting down, so we don't have to worry about you fainting. But did you know that there's no such word as eternal in the Bible? You didn't know that. Well, you know it now. How do you know it? Because I said so. That reminds me, oh, if I tell you that, then nobody will have time. I can't tell you that. So just, just imagine that I told you a story and get, get the most you can out of it without me having to tell you. This is life eternal. This is the life. There's an article there that they left out of the text. This is the life eternal. Now, the word that the word eternal comes from is the word ionos. It's translated ages. It's translated forever. It's translated eternal. And there may be another word or two that it's translated as. But they're all the same word. And what that word means is the space between any two points. Now, folks, that's just a grammar issue. You can't argue it. That's the way it is. The word ionos means what goes on between any two points and the very fact that the word eternal is used, it cannot, remain, it cannot refer to after time. Because that word itself, ionos, is related to time. So he's not talking about life that's to come for the Christian after death. He's talking about the quality of your life now. And that you can have it because really the word just means the point between, the, the, anything that goes on between two points. And it's the word for ages. That as long as you live in the time frame of life, you're in Ionos. And he's talking about the life that you can have while you live now. And that you can enjoy and be a participant in that life until you die and meet God. So it's not in the sweet by and by. That's okay too, but that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the quality of life that you can have now. I don't know about you, but I like, I like a quality of life. I enjoy living. Life is an adventure. This is the life. And is is in the present tense. Now. So if you want the life 
now that transcends all of your difficulties in life, all of your heartaches, all of your disappointments. That's not in the sweet by and by there too. But his emphasis here isn't that. His emphasis here is that if you want to have life now, here's how you have it. This is life, the life, eternal, meaning during the age of time, in the, time, in the frame of time. They may know you. See, that they may know you. That is in our text in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8. I may know Christ surpassing the value, the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord. He says, now that's life. That they may know you. So in knowing him, responding to him, being in agreement with him, brings to us the life of which every human being really dreams about but doesn't have a clue as to how to find it. And that's the church's mission. This is the life eternal. That is, as long as you live, this is the life. That they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. There is where life comes together for people. Verse 4, and we're going to have to close. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. You see, Jesus, and that's on, on the second there it lists up here of what God gave Jesus to do to enable him to carry out his life's mission as one of us, as a human person. I have glorified you. I have brought recognition to you, Father. I have, how have I done that? I have accomplished the work. I have accomplished the work that you appointed me to accomplish. And now, verse 5, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory with which we had with you before the world was. <clears throat> When we understand where Jesus came from, when we understand his origin, that he had come from God, and that he came to be as one of us, and then when he left us, he went back to the Father again to carry out a further and a new appointment of his mission. When we have a handle on that, then we have the knowledge of Christ that brings to us that life, the life that is eternal. That is eternal as far as our whole life is concerned. The lifespan and then when we face God it's no longer eternal. What do you call it then? Because there's no time frame then. You're beyond time. The Bible does not address it from that perspective. All right, we're going to close. That's it. I'm done. Any questions? Any arguments? No tomatoes. We're done. Think about that. Now, now I know about God. That's the expression that tells you that God has, has exercised restraint 
in the use of his sovereignty. That God does not know, he does not have an appointment for you as to when you're going to be born and when you're going to die. God has not determined those things at all. And you can't, there's just nothing that suggests that. So why do people go there? Because they want to escape some personal individual responsibility. God has given us his mission. He has given us the purpose for the church. We are to adhere to that. We are to be in alignment with it and to be faithful for that. Now I know. And the disciples, when they heard about where Jesus had come from and the time frame of who he was while he was here and that he was going back to the Father again, leaving the world and going back to the Father, <coughs> the disciples says, now we know. And when the disciples say, now we know, you ought to be able to say in harmony with them, now we all know about this Jesus, who in him is life eternal. Let's sing our closing song. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.